G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting. Good evening, gents. Mark, you finally made it? Yes, mate. I'm here. It half is. An hour, half an hour late, but you didn't get oh, well. speeding fines, hopefully. Uh, well, actually, yeah, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Man, there's like radar traps everywhere on the highway. Is that just out of Toowoomba heading to Brizzy? Yeah, there's, there's yeah. like literally one behind every tree. It's a bad, bad time to rob, good time to rob a bank. All the coppers are out, man, bloody speed cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so for context, you've um, you've been where, with whom, doing what, and what did you get? Okay, so uh, I've just driven back from uh, around, so about an hour south of Bathurst. So only about a, less than 100 k's out of Goulburn. And um, I was there with Joe, who we met at the Toowoomba show, and Gemma, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And we went, we went, we went on a hunting trip. So we, I headed down there Thursday, met the guys at Bathurst on Friday, and we hunted Friday, Saturday, Sunday on a private block. And yesterday afternoon, pivoted to Pennsylvania State Forest, which is one of the really big, popular state forests because it's only technically three hours out of Sydney. It's not, oh, well, you know, Sydney's a big place, but for a lot of people, it's probably the closest state forest. You see it a lot in videos it's all it's a it's that pine one where you know, they're driving through all the pines it looks like that kind of state forest mm. um and so we were there yesterday afternoon and this morning and left there this morning and literally just got here now and are you oh. gonna tell us about how oh, yeah, it went so, or are you gonna say that yeah okay the, so just the, the, just the just the highlights we'd love to hear how Jim the, the um the first prop, I have never seen so many gates in my life. And it's just. <laughs> the man from the Pilgus is that? <laughs> yeah, the Pilgus, nothing, mate. <laughs> there was a place outside Mudgee, there's a dam or a lake, I can't even think what it's called. And I kid you not, there must have been a thousand gates on this, these two hills. That wow. is like, I was just going, is that like stock or. No? And then this property is just like, there's a goat there, there's a goat there, there's a goat there, there's a goat there, there's a goat. So the first day we were there on a Friday afternoon, all I did with Gemma is actually just took her down this hill until we started hearing goats and said, let's just move out. And just we just watched them for about half an hour when we were talking about their behaviour. And then we moved to another part and all of a sudden I heard bleeding behind us and I said, oh, they're going to walk on top of us. And she said, is that, are they going to like get angry with us? And I said, nah. Um, and sure enough, they were like within, they are in bow range. So we spent a lot of time just looking and stuff, and then on Saturday we took Gemma out. And she landed a couple of good 100-plus-metre shots on goats on a cliff, cool. which we got spectacular footage of. Then we um, got two um, 
too adventurous for that filming, so we were running two shooters and three cameras cool. on this mob of goats, and it just went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the first shot just said, oh, just went out the window, so I ended up doing all these running shots on goats, so we dropped all them. Got those, and then I got, and on Sunday, Joe wanted a goat for, for what he does on video, actual hunt. So we, we, we watched these goats come down from 500 metres to 50 metres, and then hmm. popped one, and so I did that. And then we went to Pennsylvania. It was stinking hot. Um, yeah, we heard it was a heat wave. Yeah, yeah it was. Like well, we got this. We got, we got a big mountain storm on Saturday <laughs> night. We've only got a little bit of it. We've got a bit of hail and stuff like that. Tents all held up. Us. So we were all just hanging out in the cars. And then so we did Pennsylvania, and we were... Um, first time I've already been introduced to Blackberry that heavy, too. You know, they oh, always yeah. talk about berry pickers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see why. Berries everywhere. Um, and on the way back to camp, you know, just just puddling along in in the last light, two fellow popped up, two little spikers, chocolate one and a uh, a vanilla one. And I said, Jim, come here, get this one. She said, No, no, I'm not ready. So she said, You do it. So which one did you take? Uh, chocolate went behind a bramble, so silly one didn't. So <laughs> silly one got it. That's it. Yeah. And uh, got got a little, um, a little really healthy looking, very light coloured um, knobby on one side and a little tiny bit of stick on the other side. So you know, just out of the egg um, bucks, which was pretty spectacular considering you know that a lot of people talk about they never see deer. She ended up seeing deer hmm. within a Good. few hours. And more interestingly, I didn't realise that she'd never really been hunting like that ever. No, we were just talking about this before you mm. came on. Yeah. For, maybe it was her first hunt, but the first major hunt anyway was the moose over, yeah, so overseas. She, so this is the first Yeah, so she'd strange. been shooting. Mm. Before, what an introduction. But never really been hunting. So it was actually pretty – she actually got to do some really stuff that a lot of people don't get to do, like, you know, actually watch the animals come to you and all that stuff. So. Mm. So, so yeah, well, well done. So, Sounds like a great mm. trip. And then, um, and then we drove. Then, and we, this morning we went out for an hour. The wind was wrong. There was activity. There was trucks moving around everywhere. We said, I reckon this is all come to an end, eh? And so she headed back. So I said, Go on. So we drove home. And here I am. Seven hundred. And we got to use a thermal. Thanks. We got to use a thermal this morning. Oh, we'll hold that thermal. Oh, we might yeah, talk yeah. about thermals a bit later. Leads in. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll call that a segue in about 10 or 15 minutes. Sure. Um, segue away. So uh, before we um, before we introduce Ben more formally, uh, there's a couple more things that are going on. Um, so we've got – I don't think I mentioned it too much in the last podcast, so I'll do it now. We've got our um, Hunter's Campfire Hunter's Camp coming up mm. in Nundal. Mm in april so that's um i'm gonna say it's pretty much booked out there are four parks that surround nundle hanging rock tuggalow newandock that's how you say it um there's about 50 spots i'd say 50 odd spots all up and we've got i think we've got around 30 hunters coming um and with people being able to book multiple parks at a time or two parks at a time um, I'd say the majority of the people that are going to be in the park at that point in time are going to be with us, which is going to be fantastic. 
Um, so an excellent opportunity for people to come down. If you haven't booked or you wanted to come on the trip but you haven't managed to secure a spot, get in touch with us. Um, we might be able to convince someone to pass up a spot. So that's the way it works. Um, and in the mail today, I mentioned this on the oh, on, yeah. our, on our, Ooh, there our social. Um, that's the receipt, just so you know, it's real. Um, <laughs> the uh, Predator... 2021 8 for 42 bino giveaway so that's one of the giveaways that's coming we'll talk about more in the coming weeks there's other things that are going on but those ones are up for grabs uh, i'm not going to tell you how you're going to win them so if i say you've got to be in camp uh for part of the week and you'll go in the draw um how you get in the draw beyond that i'll figure it out as i go um it'll be completely unfair and hopefully i'll win that's about where i'm going with those or I might just use them for the week and then hand them off secondhand. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> we make these rules up, so it's really fun. Um, so that's good. The other thing that happened today, well, it didn't happen today. It happened a little while ago, but I've only just opened it, was um, the latest Australian Deer Mag hit, hit us a little while ago, and in it is a six-page spread of our there's North a na- Territory. There's home. a half-naked Brian Boyle as well. There is. is there? Bruised, a bruised-up <laughs> Brian Boyle after... Shooting about a thousand rounds. Um, there's a good photo of Mark and his buffalo. Wow, six-page spread. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's well written. It pulls the piss out of us a little bit, which is okay. Mm. Apparently, we brought too many toys with us. Te- uh, technical toys, that is. Too many gadgets. Yeah. Too many gadgets. Let's go with it. Um, <laughs> Martin Fan, thank you. Well done. Anyway, six pages. Have a look. It's worth a read. It's actually pretty funny. So that was good to see that come to life in a magazine some six months after the fact. Jono, what else is going on? Uh, not much for me. I have been um, enjoying that article as well. I've got my magazine. Um, I am starting to try and make some plans for the Raw. Um, I've missed out. I haven't been able to get a spot on Hunter's Camp, but I might still try. We'll see. So if you know um, someone who can help you out. Yeah, I'll have to have a few conversations, mate. Um, but Pretty yeah, camera, so you'll be right. Still trying to rescue my uh, the Red Deer Raw. Um, still, still chances I might get on it, but if not, I'll probably pop into camp for a few days. And if I have to be the camp cook, I've been called um, worse before. So in camp, so we'll, um, we'll see how we go. Good stuff. All right, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Some may know you as the corporate redneck. Yeah, is this your handle on uh, Instagram? Uh, yep. <laughs> Thought that was a good one. That was uh, a throwback was to your, your previous for, work life. For oh, that's good. Have you got um, Red Deer fellow rut <clears throat> action plans uh, in the making, or is the, the so, new dad? Oh, yeah, no, so I've got a baby due in July, so I've got to try and oh, squeeze okay. as much hunting as I can between now and then. It, so <laughs> wait till he stands up. <laughs> So there's cameras out at the moment on the on the local fallow. There's probably a few samba hunts in the works, uh, and there'll be a trip to SA to go and dong some reds with any luck. So that's the plan. Oh, lovely. Mm. Very nice. Mm. Oh, so you're still very active, running around in the in the hunting world. Good. So um, let's get into a bit about Ben. Um, we'll talk about some of the things that you've done over your time in the hunting world, but and we'll get into. Um, one of the main reasons that you're here that we alluded to earlier, and that's to help us understand a bit more about thermals, what's on the market as part of one of your other day jobs or night yeah, jobs sure. or second roles. So, but... 
a little bit about me. I've been hunting for probably the best part of the last 20 years. I'm probably from the, the new generation of hunters as opposed to the, you know, the, the earlier generation where I didn't have uh, dad or granddad or uncle to, to show me the ropes. I got interested through social media and other things and, you know, went and went to the local gun shops and said, oh, how do I get my licence and what are guns worth and how do I get my licence? I need to do a safety course. Okay, how do I do a safety course? Go to the police station, go to the police station. They say, I'll go to the gun shop and uh, didn't really have anyone in my in my circle at that stage to help me navigate any of that. So it was a little bit hard. So it was always one of those things that got put on the back burner and luck have it, I moved house and got chatting to my new neighbour and uh, he mentioned that he was into guns. I said, oh, look, I really wouldn't mind getting into some shooting. So he took me under my wing and said, all right, well, what sort of shooting do you want to do? And I really had no idea. So he was lucky enough to take me out and, uh, you know, show me some pistols and show me some rifles and, and uh, yeah, ended up with a 2D3 and a Leopold 4 to 12 as a first rifle, I guess, as a lot of uh, a lot of blokes do. Um, really, the only access I had at that stage because I didn't understand public land and what you could and couldn't do and all those kind of things. So the only access I had was through him, and that was you know a bit of target shooting and maybe getting out on a, on a few foxes and a bit of whistling and that kind of stuff. Uh, and got addicted to it pretty quickly. I'm one of those guys that's got a bit of an addictive personality. So once I sink my teeth into something, I want to know everything about it and, and, and work to understand it. And through, I was working at the time with uh, one of the larger telecommunications companies in Australia. I won't take too many guesses to guess which one it is. But I found that I just it was just something that I wanted to talk about all the time with different people. And there were ways you could have conversations with people. And this was in Western Victoria. So was ways you could sort of identify people and, and if they were safe to have those conversations with and they were saying, hey, what are you up to on the weekend? Oh, I went out and, you know, did some shooting. And I got chatting with a with an old pommy, an older pommy bloke one day, Steve, and he said, oh, shooting. He said, I love shooting. Do you want to come out with me? I said, mate, I'd, I'd really love that. That'd be great. He said, all right, no worries. Um, Look, here's my number. Uh, I'll ring you and uh, we'll set it up. And he, he gave me a call and said, look, I'm going to go out. You need to meet me here at 6 in the morning. We're going to go out chasing foxes. I said, oh, great, no worries. So chucked the, the tika in the, in the bag and drove out there and meet this guy out in the paddock just on sunrise. Uh, anyway, get out there and he's unloading the dogs and he pulls out his shotgun and I pull out this tika that had this raft of all these accessories and, you know, thinking I was pretty <laughs> tactical. And he goes, what the hell is that? And I said, oh, it's, it's my rifle. And he goes... No, nope, that's no good. Okay, put that back in your bag. Hands me a Beretta shotgun. And uh, I've never had anything to do with a shotgun before, so I had a big, bit of a quick familiar on that. And uh, that was my first introduction to shooting foxes over dogs, which became probably a you know, 10, 15-year passion uh, with those mm. guys. We went on to... Uh, started off Steve and I, and then I introduced a couple of mates in, and then a couple of other Steve's mates joined in, and we were doing that for many, many years all around Western Victoria. Um, the guys are still going now, um, and that was, yeah, that was a that was a massive addiction and a, and a big start of it. Um, and then spotlighting. So moving on, you know, natural progression as you sort of get to know more blokes through 
shooting out of their hands. A few of the guys go, hey, we're going to our spotlighting tonight. Do you want to get into that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So often spotlighting. And then that was, you know, on a, on a might have been on a Friday, Saturday night. Then all of a sudden it was every second or third night. Then it was every second night. Then it was, you know, pretty much every night. Uh, and it was that way for, for, for a lot, a lot of years. So pretty fortunate uh, to have people like that who really didn't know me that well saw that I was keen to learn and, and give me those opportunities to get out. Otherwise, really, I, I may never have done it. Mm-hmm. Amazing to catch up with a neighbour like that. Yeah, just an absolute just, fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, what what uh, dogs did they use? Was it was it a mixture or was there a specific? Yeah, no, it's a mixture of dogs. So no, look, we used a lot of a lot of a lot of fox terriers, a lot of Jack Russells, um, and really, what you know, we sort of invited the majority of stuff along. We we ended up having different crews where you know there might have been ten guys, and that might have meant that there was two running dogs high up on the hill. There was a couple of the smaller dogs down pushing in the heavy cover. There was a couple of other dogs. You know, in the uh, in the back of the vehicles, in case they uh, ended up in dens or rock piles. Um, so it was a pretty pretty vast mixture. You know, we had Waimaranas, we had uh, there was even a, a Bichon Freeze that came out every now and then to uh, to join the rest of them and, and and wander around, which was always good for a laugh. So unreal, that'd be a heap of fun. Yeah, that yeah, no, was it was yeah. really good. A lot, a lot of fun and good 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 camaraderie with good guys. So they. They they still hunt now. They do, you know, even some contract stuff for some of the larger chicken farms and stuff now where they've got uh, pretty exclusive access, uh, heavily controlled, but pretty exclusive access to get on and uh, and help those guys deal with a lot of their problems as well. Mm. And then you so moved to deer at some point? Yeah, so what happened there was we worked out through family connection with one of our mates that he had a, a family member in South Australia who had, Three four thousand acres over there that we could go over there and spotlight. So we used to run, head over there and run a muck and you know, and basically just shoot the entire time. You know, we'd sleep all day and hunt all night and and clean up all the foxes. And it was during the day one day we might have been in, in during some of the warmer months. We were like, well, what are we going to do? It's middle of the day. We had a bit of a whistle. We're not having much luck. Oh, he's got you know a couple of thousand acres worth of bush there. Let's. You know, just wander through and see if we can maybe push some foxes out onto some of the tracks that, that wander through, and we'll do a bit of a you know a bit of a driven hunt by, us, by ourselves. And we didn't have any luck, but like most of the stuff in SA, the 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 ground there is very sandy, so started noticing all these tracks. So I said to Dave, I said, I reckon, I reckon this is deer. I reckon there's deer here. So I said to the the property owner, he goes, "Oh yeah, look, we have seen deer, but I don't think there's I don't think there's very many there." And I said, "Well, do you mind if we do you mind if we shoot one if we see one?" He goes, "No, no, it's right. Just if you if you knock one over, you know, just drop a leg off at the at the farmhouse, and you know, you guys can take the rest or whatever." Okay, go. That's pretty good. So we had absolutely no idea what we were doing, uh, no idea really how to track them or or understand any of the movements, what sort of deer they were, or or anything like that. So we sort of used that opportunity, I guess, in the next couple of years of heading up there to actually work out, okay, well, they're fallow deer and they tend to hang out in these areas and, okay, these are the times of year. I mean, we literally knew nothing. You know, we didn't know anything about the stages of antler growth. The, the, we didn't know anything about the rut. Uh, we didn't know how to break down a deer and, and, and skin it and, and do anything like that. So we taught ourselves over the next few years how to do a lot of stuff with the help of 
YouTube videos and, and articles from magazines and, and all of that kind of stuff. And that, uh, you know, that really became my, my passion from there. And, you know, over, over the years, I sort of gravitated towards Samba because somehow Fallow turned out to be the easy deer. So yeah. we wanted to try and find out, well, what's, what's, where does this go from here? So about seven years ago, I started chasing Samba and, uh, yeah, I've been a hopeless Samba hunter ever since. <laughs> seven years chasing Samba. We were talking yeah. about this the other, uh, while we were waiting for Mark to come in, having just interviewed um, Zeb last week about Samba hunting uh, and all of the things that it took for him to become a Samba hunter and, and then all the tricks and tips and things that he now knows and how easy it is for him to find them. Uh, yeah. It's still amazing that, you know, I've been down there three times uh, chasing Samba, and I can say I've seen them. I've been relatively yep. close to them, but they've never given me the opportunity to shoot, yep. um, which is probably wise of them. Um, you're saying seven years, um, still chasing them, still at the Still Samba chasing trade. them, mate. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen them. Like It's one of those things, like, I understand fellow, and I think I can find them pretty easily. Samba seem to constantly change their minds in terms of where they want to be, and that's usually yeah. where I am, you know, is where they're not. So... But I, it, it, near Ballarat, there's fairly limited options within close proximity there to hunt salmon. You really need to get up into into the high country regions to do it, but there is a couple of spots you can get out there and do it. And uh, I remember one of the state forests there, I was chomping around and, you know, I'd found prints and I'd found where there were rubs and, you know, so I started to narrow down a bit of a field of where I where I thought these deer were and it was one particular stag um, I was chasing. I ended up buying a heap of trail cams and having him out there and then understanding at particular times of the year that he was roughly on a on a three-day cycle from coming back and visiting this wallow and then heading off again and then trying to work out well, from there where is he going. Like all of the, you know, the, the elements of life, there's food, there's water, there's shelter. But where, where and why is he going to and from here? I reckon I hunted that deer probably over 100 times, uh, visited those same spots and, and, and wandered around those same areas because I, I was just addicted. I just wanted to know more. And it, and it was, you know, within an hour and a half of home, so it was an easy place to go. So I kept, kept chasing this guy. And uh, so one morning I'm out there and I said, all right, I'm just going to go out, check the cameras, see if he's been around. And I was within about 10 metres of the camera uh, and he stood up probably five or six metres away from me in his bed and he really sort of hopped up and he just sort of stood there and, and trotted off and trotted off about maybe 10 or 15 metres up the side of a hill and, and presented this perfect sort of broadside shot uh, and he was staring back at me and gave me the almighty honk and I sort of lifted the rifle and I put it on him and I just, I just said, click. And off he ran and, and off he went. And uh, I don't know, I just figured he'd beaten me a hundred times. So, you know, maybe he deserved to have that one as a bit of a, as a bit of a gimme. And mind you, I never saw him again after that. So, You're a generous man. Right. <laughs> I would have said more than fucking click, I can tell you. <laughs> Wouldn't have been the word spoken for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it was, oh, look, it was, but it was a good experience. And I mean, look, yeah. I still get out of chasing now. I'm, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm, I'm, I'm time poor. Um, 
you know, there's there's times that you need to get out and just do a lot of scouting to understand the areas that you're in. There's times that you need to get out once you've scouted those area, those areas and hunt them. There's times where you need to get out and, and get cameras out so you can, you know, let that do some of that scouting work for you. And you know, I still I still do a lot of that stuff, but I just having a young family and particularly another bubble in the way, it's it's and you know a busy a busy work life and that kind of thing as well. It's it's difficult to get away as much as I like, but. You know, in in my in my heart and my soul, I, I, you know, I'm 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 out there in my head all the time. You know, so hunting is mm. something that you know people want to talk about how they identify. Well, I I identify as a hunter, and it's it's something I'm very passionate about. Mm. Well said. Yeah, very good. Yeah. A lot of us That's agree with that. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, Mark. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, very good. All right, no, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether um, people that live in the heartlands of Samba, you know, we were talking to, like I said, we were talking to Zib before, and he, he finds it easier now that he's been around them for so long to find them. Um, I know Mark doesn't find it too difficult to go up and find reds these days. Um, maybe he's got a captive audience, Mark, where they are. They're, they're certainly not behind wire, but you've understood their habits, right? And you you sort of know yeah, when well. and where to find them these days. And fellow are no different. You know, if you're used to hunting yeah. them like that, they become the easy deer. But maybe, yeah. you know, for me, I've, I can say I've let quite a few of those walk, but probably not a fellow buck that I've chased a hundred times. It's mm. not going to get that lack of attention from me. It um, made sense at the time. I've seen you, yeah, I've seen you get a bit, uh, a, a bit addicted to a, to a bucket uh, at Nundal there, yeah? When you've seen that big one. You want that yeah, in, go. No, no, I won't be letting them go this year either. <laughs> All good. Oh, hey, I mean, um, it's also too, yeah, it's, it's it's a very personal thing. Um, but, and it's also where you, you know, what kind of hunting you still. I thought I have having this conversation today, over the weekend, you know. Um, if you've always hunted a state forest, then you're kind of used to a certain type of hunting, which is basically opportunistic. You know, you try to. You can set out cameras, you can stake out a space, but there might be a five other blokes who's also staked out that space. And you might think, oh, well, I'll let that one go for next year. And then 20 minutes later, you hear the shot, someone drops it in its tracks, you know. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with, with Brisbane Valley Reds, you know. I know if I see a good red stag, there's every chance I won't see him next. I won't see him again. And unfortunately, he might get spotlighted from the road. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma that you get into. So you think, okay, I'll, I'll let it go, but that doesn't mean it's going to be let go by anyone. No, there's a very even red deer in velvet, um, which probably is up on my Insta actually from a from trail cam a few years ago, and uh, that's exactly what happened. We 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 sort of let him go and. Thought we'd wait till he'd come out of velvet and uh, knock him over then, and then we heard from the locals that you know, a couple of nights later he got spotlighted from the road, and and yeah. uh, they jumped the fence and chainsawed him, and off they went. So yeah, got the head off. I passed up a the only double six I've ever passed up was up in Mary Valley, and the reason I passed up was it, it split during the roar, so the, the it actually had split the right hand handler. So technically, at the time, it's a four-six, and I said, "Oh well, it'll grow back." He's gone. Yeah, never, never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. I think that's what a 
what appeals to me about um, Victoria and the high country is it's so big and there's so much of it, the country up there. I mean, yes, there's a lot of hunters as well, but, you know, the bolder you are, the, the more private it's going to be and the less mm. chance that people are going to do that. You can get way back in those places, whereas, yeah. you know, most – and I guess you could say the same for parks like Nundal. Nundal's pretty massive. Yeah. Um, you can get some pretty deep, dark, gnarly places in that system. And, um, you know, there's not going to be too many other people that are getting down there. So there's a good chance if you're doing that, you're going to be able to chase them for, you know, a couple of years. I know people that have chased the same buck for a couple of years down there. Um, but most of the parks are smaller than that, aren't they? So, Ooh, yeah. Um, and plus, plus load. load's the big thing. I mean, you know, that's, I was reading a really interesting article about they were trying to, basically the premise was, does recreational hunting is it a benefit to animal management or not? And this guy quite honestly said, we don't know because we haven't tried to study it. You know, mm. So we can, we can say yes and we can say no, but we haven't tried to study it. And he said one of the troubles with studying <clears throat> recreational hunters as a group is that because they're recreational, they gravitate to the best outcome for the recreation. So, you know, if you looked at it statistically, Nundal is full of deer because there's lots of deer to get shot there. But a park that doesn't get shot has no deer because there's no deer getting shot there. You mean they're not being recorded? That's right. Mm. So they go, oh, there's no deer there because there's no records. All the deer here because all the records. And, and the trouble is when you tell everyone that there's deer being shot here, more hunters go there. So because, so, you know, it's yeah. recreational. You get paid for it. You want to try and if you're going to spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear, you want to try and get at least some bang for your buck. So you go where the deer are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get this really big imbalance of, you know, so you get really big imbalances of populations. And there can be places like, and we don't know, you know, there's, prob- there's quite possibly private land around Hundle that's got moose oh. running around. All, all, yeah, all the national parks. That's right. All the national park reporters that, that no one hunts yeah. for. No right. should hunt. Because yeah. you can't hunt there, so yeah. we don't know what's in there. Um, so, you know, the, the, those big uh, bucks that everyone are looking for, they might be just be over there, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one of the troubles with the, 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 the recreational market. We we actually want to, since we do it recreationally, we want to have some, you know, we, we, we want to have success because that's part of the recreation. Mm-hmm. So we go to where, where the deer are. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While we're on the subject of deer, uh, Ben, do you have an opinion on the National Feral Deer Management Strategy that's out? Have you yeah. got any thoughts? Look, I have, and I've started writing my own submission back to him. I think we've got until about the 20th of March to get those submissions in. Uh, do I agree something needs to be done and something needs to change? Yeah, look, sure. You know, there's more deer around than ever before, and I think I was saying to a couple of you guys before, I would challenge anyone to walk into any patch of bush now in Victoria at least. Um, absolutely 100% there's at least fallow there. There's samba where I've never seen samba before. There's reds where I've never seen red before. There's a lot more people having accidents, uh, you know, vehicle accidents and that kind of stuff with deer in urban and semi-urban areas. There's... Very American style uh, signage going up on 
roads uh, over towards Mount Dandenong in terms of, you know, they're not kangaroo signs anymore, they're deer signs. Um, mm. So there's absolutely more deer out there than there's ever been. Does something need to be done? Yeah, potentially, but maybe what needs to be done is we need to stop protecting, you know, and creating these these zones where they can breed up without having any natural predators or without having hunters being able to access them. Like there's, you guys pointed out in the in the potty that you did on this in terms of SA is the peak body that's driving this. SA is a state that doesn't recognise hunting, doesn't recognise uh, deer as game. They recognise them as pests. So they're not measuring things like, you know, the the, the health benefits, the economic benefits, um, the revenues from, from licensing and those kind of things like states like New South Wales and, and Victoria are. So it's... I think, yes, do I think something needs to be done and something needs to change? Yes. Do I think that they have the recipe for that right? No, I don't think so. I know there's some stuff in there about, you know, recreational hunting, but they really made a very early on point of that in that they, it's not about recreational hunting for them. It's about these other programs that they want to introduce. And it's it's those other programs that are ultimately going to force us out of areas and force us out of our hobbies. Uh, of being able to do these things, you know, and increase risks to us, which otherwise aren't there. You know, there's some stats around in terms of, you know, like Victorian National Parks. Um, so, you know, something like 95% of the visitors to Victorian National Parks visit 5% of the area. So they they gravitate, they want to go and see the waterfalls or they want to go and see this feature or they want to go and see this lookout. So there's all this vast area of space that those people aren't going to. So why can't we look at an R-licensed type system or or even, you know, potentially an American balloted type of system to actually give hunters access to those areas? And everyone I speak to in, in my circles, they'd be happy to to pay and financially contribute for that privilege to be able to do that and to get into these, you know, exclusive areas and take on these, you know, these animals and fill their freezers at no cost to the taxpayer and actually add value back into... Cost benefit. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I'd, um, that's, I, that's I'd, be, I'd be willing to pay I'd be willing to pay for a tag in any of those scenarios to build a wealth around, you know, and the value of absolutely. the game species up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. even if it's five or ten bucks, you know, to buy a tag, whatever the number is, it doesn't really matter. It's going to well, prove it, it doesn't, but value. I think... I think you can go even further than that. I think some people you talk to, they'd be happy to just pay hundreds and even thousands of dollars to get access to some of these areas for a period of time to actually get in there and, you know, potentially hunt beasts that have, that have never been hunted, you know, and, and yeah. get access to some of those amazing heads that are otherwise not going to be seen because they're just taken out by choppers, um, you know, and, and all these other things that go on. So mm. what what's... And I've thought about it a lot. What's really weird about that whole document is that if you break it down to first principles, they're saying we need to kill deer because we're not talking about, you know, housing them or rehoming them or adopting them. We're saying we need to kill deer. <laughs> okay? Cold, That's cold what it's about. It's about killing yeah. deer. Yeah. Sure, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So there's this group of people who kill more deer than anyone else. Okay? But because we reckon they don't kill them for the right reason, 
We're going to exclude those people. Now, there is nowhere you would apply that logic to anything else ever. If you say, look, we want to achieve this thing, and over here is this a group of people who are doing exactly what we would achieve to do. In fact, they do it more better, more, more often, and with more success than anyone else. However, they wear green T-shirts, and we just don't like green T-shirts. So, yeah. sorry, you put your numbers over there and continue on. And it's just bizarre. The more I think about it, it's strange. You know, 120,000 deer get killed by 60,000 licensed people in Victoria. Yeah, but no, I mean, because they like to kill them because they've got a re- they've got a reason that doesn't align with our reasons. Yeah. It's like what those deer get back up and they keep moving again. Are they like zombie deer? It's a, it's they're like fish that you throw back when you're done. Right, yeah. like, yeah. Are we thrown? Yeah, I've got one and throw it up back. It's it's a bit it's like up. too like if you had a let's just spit it another way. If you had a cow infestation problem and you had cows running through the hills. And there were just that many of them that they really started to become an issue. So you said to the public, okay, guys, there's free meat roaming around up in the hills because there's all these cows. Tell you what we'll do. We're going to get, give you access to go up there and take as many cows as you like, take them home and process them and put them in the freezer. You, absolutely, you'd do that. But that, that's exactly what we're dealing with. It's just not cows, they're deer. Well, it's, it's, but unfortunately, this situation we're going... Because you want to eat that cow. Now, we don't like that, that you want to eat that cow. That's yeah. the wrong reason. So, no, you, you, can't, you can't participate in this. It doesn't use as much yeah. plastic. Because yeah. you're not using the right. It's just, you know. Mm. I mean, the more I think about it, I think you want deer dead. This guy's killing deer. Maybe mm. you should talk to this guy. Well, not yeah. only that, Mark. We've talked about this before. That guy's paying to kill them no, for well, you. That's right. Whereas every other option economy. you've got is going to cost the taxpayer <clears> money. And that's the interesting one of the, the things. I mean, you know, there's some stats coming out very easily available that at least $200 million a year goes into Victorian coffers from here. It'd be interesting to know how much the deer are costing the Victorians. Oh, yeah. Because I'm wondering if, if it's more than $200 million a year. Mm. So, I'd expect so. Well, one. interesting thing yeah. about things like the, the National Disc, um, strategies. I mean, they're doing things in there. They're recommending for professionals and recreation hunters things like the use of um, thermal and night vision and other technologies and that kind of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which is, is is a there's a positive there. You know, from you know from a couple of different aspects, but they, they they're agreeing that it is an effective management tool for further reducing the number of deers. New South Wales have recognised it and said, okay, well, we're actually going to allow the use of thermal technology for, you know, on deer between the hours of uh, sunrise to sunset. But then on the, completely on the other hand, you've got Victoria turning around and going, no, well, it's, it's completely banned um, and yeah. it's illegal and if you do that, you'll be charged. So why are we not allowed to use a tool that's actually going to make it more efficient and allow us more to harvest more yeah. deer in a shorter period of time? Um, yeah, similar my, with the use of suppressors and those kind of things as well, you know, these well, are all effective my, and efficient tools. My immediate answer to that is that New South Wales treat them as ferals, and there's still game in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, yeah. You know, fair, chase, fair chase rules around game, less around yeah. ferals, right? But mm. I get your point. And it talks about autoloaders, you know. Yeah. I mean, which is quite, you know. 
which is almost against various state policy. You know, it's almost it's suggesting things that are almost that are in in certain interpretations against policy. So you know, just as I said, you know, autoloaders, thermals, and suppressors. Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in a state forest situation, especially like well, since New South Wales have really, you know, they've they've suspended the game status as it as it were of deer, so there isn't really the seasons now. And your your idea is you are supposed to take them. Thought, mm. but you're right. Why not make it easier? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Auto loaders are bad. <laughs> they are. They're very bad. Well, well the suppressors are good for your ears. Um, well, yeah. well, that's right. I mean, Workplace suppressors in other places around the world, suppressors are actually required by law to be used. That's the yeah. dumbest thing. I, I, I understand people's arguments around autoloaders. Do I agree with them? It uh, doesn't matter. I don't want one. But plenty of other people do. Um, suppressors, though, that, that that one just doesn't make any sense at all. It's yeah. on Agreed. so many levels. I mean, it doesn't make them little quiet ninja Rifle. They're not. They're not silencers. <laughs> no, yeah, like no, in the movies, where it's like you can't hear what's, it. It, it produces the volume. Auto loaders, yeah. you know, auto loaders aren't AR platforms. An AR, an AR is an auto loader, auto loader, but an auto loader is an AR. There is plenty of sporting rifles around the world. Some very, very nice sporting rifles with lovely, you know, Turkish walnut stocks that are just auto loading. So they're three to five shots. Mm. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it, but, and I think that's where you know what is it? It's 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 the over-politicization of all this comes in comes into play. Things like suppressors and autoloaders and so on like that. It's, it's really the politicization rather than the sense behind it. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. So Ben, um, since you've raised the the topic of thermals, <laughs> uh, well done. <laughs> by the way. Um, <laughs> Let's let's talk about um, Ground Force International for a second. Another part of your life outside of your day job. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you want, to, you want to introduce that for us and, and what that's all about? Yeah. So, one black the clock a few years ago, I left uh, I left the corporate world after a few years, and I actually went and worked in a uh, in one of the local gun dealers uh, for a while just to help him develop some new business processes and. You know things like getting his stock inventoried and start looking at getting a website online and uh, and some of those sort of basic technological challenges. Um, and from there, I obviously met a few of the distributors around, and I uh, ended up meeting uh, James from Ground Force and went on to become uh, a rep for his company. So this is going back quite a few years ago now, when Night Vision very first came into the consumer market. Um, so that was a lot of fun getting to know and, and understand that stuff. And what followed after that was thermal getting introduced to the consumer market. Uh, a few years after that, I, I, I left having a young family, just being on the road. I was, I was managing at that time. I was looking after New South Wales, Victoria, Tassie, SA and WA. Um, so I was on the road pretty well permanently. Uh, so I went back to to doing a day job, uh, and but recently got invited back to be part of the company, just helping work with their marketing. So uh, in, in terms of social media and engagement, and just really just getting our products out there in front of people, 
and also trying to help people make the right buying decisions. And so there's a couple of different levels with that. There's there's obviously working with the dealers and educating the dealers and educating the staff and those kind of things. But there's also educating the market and educating the punters that are out there who are thinking that, you know, maybe something like this might actually add some value to their hunting kit. And then, and then helping them understand and take them on the journey of, well, how do I understand this stuff? Because the reality is that it's got more of a relationship with your smartphone than it does, you know, with your with your Leopold scope. We're getting into to electronics and cameras and, and, and very sensitive equipment. So, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now and working with people and just trying to get as much product as we can out there to people to to experience and play with just to make them informed buyers so that they, you know, when they do decide to pick up something for themselves, they're picking the right gear. Mm. And they've got ground floor sets, quite a few brands that you you represent outside yeah, so of thermals as well. Yeah, we run a few different brands. Yeah, that's right. So we... Few different brands outside of thermal, so we're one of probably one of the, the the smaller distributors. Our particular focus is in and around night vision and thermal, but we also do you know accessories to the market as well. So some shooting sticks and hearing protection, uh, some security stuff, so safes as well as travel cases, um, and new products coming in and around all the time. There's a new range of flashlights and some other stuff coming out at the moment. So yeah. Yeah, and I'm assuming in the role that you've got, you've played with most of these toys somewhere along the way. Yeah, that's probably one of the good benefits, I guess, we having a relationship with a company like this is you do get to experience, you know, a lot of the stuff as it, as it comes through. So, you know, the new products before they hit the market and then also, you know, to spend a bit of time with the, the, the products longer term and stuff that actually integrates well with the the, the hunting that I do. Um, you know, particularly with the, you know, the fox shooting and spotlighting and that kind of stuff. So mm. what kind of, so, I mean, I've got a fairly re- a reasonable idea of thermals, but you yeah. were talking about some of the, the, the smartphone stuff. What What's that? Oh, I just mean in terms of, like, the, the devices themselves, they're, you know, they're not, like, even though it's a thermal scope, it's it's a computer. So it really doesn't have much of a relationship with a with a with a metal tube and a few bits of glass. Oh, uh, I can't see it. It's well. the so components it's, of it. Yeah. 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 So. And that's you know, and and also from a usability perspective too. Like we've had a lot of people that have been you know very interested and like to get into it, but they simply, if if you can't drive a a basic mobile phone or a smartphone, then then maybe a thermal's not for you. Um, or get at least get someone to spend the time with you. So that you can actually navigate those things, because if you if you buy it, it can be the greatest thing in the world. But if you can't use it or drive it, or if you don't understand it, you're going to have a bad experience. And that's you know that's a lot of money down the drain. It's not a good representation of of the company that you bought it off, or you know, uh, or, or the dealer that you bought it off. That kind of stuff as well. So what? So with the, the in the thermal range, we're talking about the handhelds and the scope mounts. Yeah, so you've got you got yeah, so you've got a couple of different classifications, the devices and the bases. And you've got your your monoculars or your, or your spotters, which is like your yeah, you know, it's either a handheld type device for using for, for for scanning a field, that kind of stuff. Um, some of them now will allow you to uh, mount them up on a fixed mount, so be that uh, on the outside of your vehicle, so on a spotlight mount or, or up on uh, up on the roof. Mm. You can then yeah. through... And then what? So once that's mounted, what that, that presents back to 
yep. to a, a screen? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can either drive that back to a so via Wi-Fi to a screen or, or a tablet mounted in a vehicle or suction cap to the windscreen of your car or um, if mm. you you might have a, a, the ability to plug AV into the back of your, your large screen in your, in your four-wheel drive so you could utilise that kind of tech as well and actually have that running on the screen. Um, like most things with technology, where you can go hardwired versus wireless, you're going to be better off. You get less lag uh, through the technology. You're not having to worry about the, the wireless transmission come through the, the roof of your car or all the other uh, items that might be in the way. So if you can hardwire it, you're going to get a better experience. Um, and they've even got dedicated models now, which are uh, got like a magnetic base and they sit up on the uh, roof of your vehicle and you can actually turn a knob or a joystick to actually move the the, uh, the unit around rather than, you know, using a handle, that kind of stuff. So it's pretty nice being able to sit in a vehicle and have the heater going or the aircon going and, you know, sitting there staring at a screen waiting for uh, for things to pop out. Yeah, like the sound of that. I'm just thinking about um, sticking one on the roof of my office here to point out into the paddock so I know when In to... In the paddock to see what's wandering you know, around. Yeah. Just to see what's wandering around, yeah. See, see when old Mr Fox comes to look at the chickens or yeah. the lambs. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you've got your binoculars awesome. or your spotters and you've then got like your scopes and your optics and you've got a few different types in that space as well. Um, you know, most modern ones now that are getting around tend to be the, you know, the, what they call like a tube type. So it, it looks like a scope. It's got, you know, all of the physical characteristics of a, of a traditional optic. It'll mount in traditional rings, um, you can, which means you can buy a large amount of quick detachable bases with a good, option of, you know, return to zero type stuff if you're using it on multiple platforms. You've got the option of, uh, you know, very lightweight optics in that space as well. I think some of them now are down to about 480 grams. Um, so, again, they're not prohibitive in terms of size or, or weight uh, or those kind of things. Um, and then you've got clip-in technology. So that's a device that attaches to a traditional optic and allows it to then see with you know in thermal through that optic as well so there you you know your rough different types of classifications and they've all got their they've all got their place um you know and they've all got their you know inherent downfalls i guess i suppose as well like anything it's about finding the right the right tool for the right job mm. and i noticed on on the website a product called in is it infiray infiray which is a yeah. brand yep yep Manufacturer. Yeah, which was a um, a really tiny little device that goes on the back of your mobile. Yep. So they've got tiny little ones like that, which you can actually plug in, and it allows your mobile to uh, to have thermal as well. The restrictions when you start talking about thermal, and this is where it gets really important to understand what it is you're actually wanting to achieve with that. So if you went yep. and bought that with the expectation of of seeing a fox at 300 meters, you're probably going to be disappointed. Well, I know you're going to be disappointed. Because it's 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 relative to the type of technology that's in that thermal device, and no two thermal devices are the same. And where it becomes a challenge for the punters wanting to buy this stuff, they say, "Oh, thermal, this is great." And there's been a few of them that have come out over the years where people have gone, "Oh, this this is great thermal, and it's and it's really cheap, and it's a price that I can afford." And they've purchased it, and it just hasn't delivered on the results. And what that does is that just goes, "Oh, that." 
that thermals, it's just rubbish. It's, you know, it's no good. I used, yeah. I used one and it was no good. Um, but it just wasn't the right device for the right purpose. So there's, you know, three or four things in, in every thermal that really will change the experience in terms of what it is you're looking for. So uh, in no particular order, your, your lens size. So the, the, the lenses that they use on them, so the bigger the lens size that you've got, the more heat or infrared light can hit that lens to get translated back into a picture. So typically that, that lens size will translate back to distance. So when you look at some of these uh, optics on, on paper now, it's pretty impressive when they start giving you figures of, you know, detection at 3,650 metres. Um, that's because they've got particularly those, those very large lenses on them. Um, where that, some of that stuff becomes, like it's good certainly to have that and to have those huge distances to be able to see those things, but at 3,650 metres, you're talking about detection distance. So it's a, it's a blip on the radar. You've got no way of determining whether that's a 30-inch stag, a rabbit, a hare, a fence post that's been warmed up in the sun, uh, a rock on the side of a hill. It really just is a, you know, the smallest little blip on the on the side of the, you know, on, on, on mm. the actual screen. Um, where you start to get uh, translation that in terms of the clarity of the image, you start talking about the sensor. So we've got the lens. Lens gives us our, our distance. The sensor is what's giving us our 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 clarity because it's what's translating it back into an image. So it's in it's in pixels. I don't know, think about a you know the higher quality TV that you have, the more amount of pixels you have, the better quality of the image. So this is talking about yeah. the number of number of pixels that it's pulling together to create and form an image. And most mid-range stuff now will be around the you'll see it as a as 384 uh, by 288 uh, sensor, which is which is the amount of pixels. That are in that uh, that are in that sensor, and the higher quality stuff at uh, at 640, so twice that quality again. Uh, there's been some new stuff hit the market, uh, really only in the last couple of months, getting into 1280 thermal, which is really starting to get up there in terms of the actual sharpness of the image. Very very cost prohibitive at this point, but the technology is there and it's evolving. And you know, it's a little bit like you know, think about the first plasma TV that you bought. Um, yeah. And how that, you know, how you can now walk into, you know, JB or your local retailer and what you can buy a, a good quality LED, you know, TV for now. That that technology is it moves on, things get better, and then you get the, that N minus one, those items drop off and get cheaper over time. So we've got our lens size and then we've got our sensor. Um, you start to get into other things like what they call like the Hertz rating. So this is how many times it's actually refreshing that picture back to your eye when you're looking. Now, it doesn't matter so much, you know, in a static shooting position because hopefully the target that you're, you're aiming at is not moving very much. But if you're thinking about standing out in an open paddock and doing this, you want something that's refreshing that image a lot mm. of times back to your eye. And if it's less than, say, 30 hertz, you're really going to get that chunky sort of view, you're going to have to find you've really got to slow down because the image just isn't keeping up with the scrolling that you're mm. doing along the way. And that's probably more so important in a in a spotter 
whether that's being used from a handheld or whether that's being used on a on a mount or, or another system. So with with Hertz ratings, you want you really want the the, the biggest rating that you can get there. So, but anything above thirty hertz, because thirty hertz is when our brain starts to recognise. Hang on a minute, this is slow and chunky and starting to get a bit get a, get a bit blocky. And I'm, you know, it's in a, in the example of a scope. Um, if something's moving, you need to know it's moving because you, you're really poised, ready to take that to take that shot. Yeah. Um, what's the upper end? Yeah. Up, what's the upper end of that hertz? If thirty is minimum, what do they go up to? Uh, about sixty in the really higher end stuff. The average is probably is really in that thirty to to fifty space. Um, okay. Even in some of the really really high quality optics, they tend to stick with thirty because again, that's really the the limit that our brain is is quite conscious of anything below that. We can really pick okay. up, whereas that thirty and above, it's it's we're talking about only very minuscule amounts of difference. Okay. Um, net D is the other thing that you'll see around on on some of these snails, and that's basically the the so it's, it's noise equivalent temperature difference net D, or sometimes I'll call it thermal contrast, and that's how good that sensor is at being able to measure really small variances in the heat or the radiation. Now, this is where it gets all a bit, a, a bit strange and, and what where it pays for people to learn some of this stuff. Lens, you want as big of a lens as you can. Sensor, you want a bit bigger than the sensor as you can afford. Hertz rating, you want as big as you can, but the net, net D rating, you want as low as you can. So a good quality net D rating, you know, now on the higher end limits will probably be 17 to 12, um, you know, which... Where that comes into its own is the, the sharpness of the image you'll get and also being able to pick up the temperature variance between, um, let's say, a rabbit at a significant distance in amongst uh, in amongst grass and being able to pick up that that really small item in amongst those other items is a completely different heat signature uh, and that it can then present that back as a, as a crisp, clear image back to you. So basically it sees through the grass. Yeah, 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 effectively. Yeah. But, you know, interesting point on that. We get a lot of queries from people saying, hey, I want a thermal that I can find pigs in the lignum or I want a thermal that I can just put up and I can show me where all the deer are in the bush. Any thermal to yeah, be able to translate one. an image back, um, has some part of it has to be visible to that lens. So the line of sight sure. direct to that animal has to be there. Um, if it's completely behind something, you won't get a detection. You won't get a reading. Uh, if right. there's at least a portion of that animal visible, you will at least get a detection. You won't know what it is, but you'll know something's there. Yeah. Okay. So back to that one that sees all the deer. No. <laughs> I know that's... Um, well, they are doing uh, drones now with, with thermal. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I've seen a lot of guys have a, a bit of success with. That's something I'd be it, interested to have a play with. I use my drone it. for fishing. I'm more than happy to use it for spotting things. Um, and I've used it I've used it for spotting deer, but they're too noisy. The deer just yeah. run off. And it was funny, actually, They in, the, in the, the deer plan that we were talking about earlier, they talked about drones being a... Um, Effective, you know, a, yeah. a, an effective piece of technology for what a load of shit they they yeah. run so fast as soon as there's a buzz above their head i can tell you now um but yeah. that so so let's let's take all of those technical things right and there's there's yeah. reasons why some scopes have 
higher numbers and others have lower numbers and that's all going to be about you know cost of product to market and what's fit for purpose depending on what we're using it for so the majority of our listeners are hunters um and a lot of them are interested in um these new rules that are in new south wales that allow us to use thermals in new south wales um our license parks yeah but um we can only use those thermals 30 minutes either side of sunup and sundown. Yep. So there's a really small window for the practical use of thermals. Um, tell me I'm wrong about that. I, I don't no. know enough about thermals. And I said to someone, I said to, I said to Mark, and I think I said to Jono, and I'm pretty sure they told me I was an idiot. Um, and I said, no, no, I'm sure I've used one in the daylight. I'm sure I've used one in the daylight. And, and I, I might have been slightly wrong. It might have been like the early dawn um, time that we used it, and it would have been a super cold morning. So I sort of understand that it works in the cold, but is there no, technology no, so improvements no, here that are, are going to allow these things to be? Yeah. Technology's improved a lot. They will work throughout the day. They will struggle where the temperature – so if you've got really high humidity um, and you've got really high temperatures, you know, maybe in that, you know, 20, 30 degrees plus, Mark, you, you're going to struggle because what this is where it comes back to things like the net D ratings. So being able to, what we're looking at there is being able to detect the difference between the animal and a tree or the animal and a piece of bush or the animal and whatever the, the rest of that ambient background might be. So thermals will 100% work in the daytime. The challenge there is you get a lot more detections because mm. the the branches mm. on the trees will heat up over the course of the day. The you know rocky outcrops, particularly if you're up in that sort of, those sort of areas chasing goats and those kind of things, you look up and you're going to have 150 detections. But you can then use right. that to look at maybe the detections that are moving, as opposed to the detections sure. that are static. Okay, and we're, we're we're talking about a scenario where we're in you know Nundle State Forest in winter. Uh, it's early winter, so it's somewhere between zero degrees and ten degrees. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, it might get a little bit hot on that during the day when we've stopped hunting, we've come in for a bit of a rest. But usually, when we're out there, you're pretty well rugged up and it's cold. Yeah. Um, how effective is this stuff going to be through that cold morning? Very yeah, effective. Picking you, this, this, gonna... this net D running. Yeah. Well, if you think about a summer's night out chasing foxes where these things, again, can be really quite effective. You know, and you've got cold is better because it allows those things to stand out more. But with mm. some of the new technologies and stuff that are coming through with better quality sensors and those kind of things and better be able to detect the the variance and changes in those heat signatures coming through, stuff like that's going to, you know, in, in the type of situations you're talking about, it's going to work just as well during the day as it's going to work at night. So yeah. the fact that hey, it's Mark, day, night, or otherwise actually has no bearing on it. Your experiences with that, Mark? Because I, I know I you've been using it up on your block. So I, got, I used one 13 hours ago, I think, or 14 hours ago. <laughs> um, and it was one of the uh, a later, a much, a much later model um, or generation than the one that I've been using for a while and which I've used at Nundle. Um, I think that the thing about thermal technology is, and I, I really kind of, I didn't discover it, but I, I realised this when I first did the reviews on them, is that 
it's, it's almost hard to explain, but what it does is your eye sees in a certain spectrum, okay? We see things the way that this is all working right now is because our eyes can pick up certain spectrums of light and it creates pictures so we can look at pictures on the screens and stuff. This thing doesn't do that. This thing looks at a like a different spectrum and what it is, it's looking at radiation or the easiest way to say it, it looks at heat, okay? It sees heat. So it sees all heat. Mm. And what we don't realise is everything has heat in it, including rocks, fence posts, yep. wire. Everything has heat in it. So when you look through that thermal, you see heat. So you see all heat. Now, if you're like when I first used one, we were down Marundi and we are hunting a farm property and there was a grass slope and it was almost snowing and you lifted it up and it was pitch black and you lifted it up and the whole hill was full of roos and pigs and stuff like that because the thing was, you know, almost snow colour and then there was these big fat blobs of, you know, blood moving around bodies. It jumped out like, you, you know, it was, it was like it was like revelation. I'm like, oh, look, there's the pigs there. Look at the, 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 there's the cows and the pigs. There's a deer over there and we're just stunned. When you go to a like, like today where it was, you know, hot, hot weekend in, um, you know, rural New South Wales, we were in a pine forest. You picked it up. I was, I saw the ground. I saw the rocks. I saw the pine trees. So being able to just simply see heat doesn't mean like, There'll be a blank screen and then there'll be this lovely deer outline in your screen. Hang on, there'll be trees. Marketing pictures told me. And there'll be deer and stuff. So that's, and that's what I think people get. Yeah. I think people think it's kind of like, you know, like it's, well, it's the same. They, science fiction, you know, they pick it up, there it is. Target, target, target. Doesn't do that. Um, So what I found is that the way I use them, and the way I used up on the block is I get to the block before before dawn. It's dark, still pretty warm still at the moment, though. And I just scan and I go, okay, what heat signatures around? And generally there's the big blob of cows, because it's a cattle property. So I know the cows are over there, and then I and then you might, you know, start picking up birds and trees. So you'll see a, a bright tree, but they'll be like, and for some reason I can't explain, you'll probably have a much better explanation, but a living thing has a slightly different heat signature than, well, no, the trees are living, but a, an animal has a slightly different heat signature than a tree. And yep. the best way I can describe it is it seems to glow a little bit more, yep. whereas a rock that's just been heated by the sun is this kind of solid mass, a living creature tends to glow. And, of course, then it starts to move, which gives it away. But if it's not moving, you'll see that it, it kind of glows. And so, you know, I'll scan and see what's out there, just so that I that I basically don't bump anything while I'm, while I'm before I start. But I mean, that's using it as a as an observation tool. I don't know how effective it would be in daylight in somewhere like Nundal, unless well, it could be very effective. For instance, when I used it in Nundal, I was looking over a recently cut pine block. And the macropods were just everywhere. They just, you could see them. And in fact, there was this rabbit. And I almost 
was able to grab this rabbit because it was pitch black and I could see it. And it was like clearly, but I don't know how you'd go looking through it. You know, I don't think you'd be able to drive past the pine forest and kind of go, oh, there he is. There's a 260 Douglas. I go there, bang it. <laughs> right. Because now, one, this is going to be because basically the trees block out the. That's right. So it's not like. It's got a weave it's not in like, one of those. It's not like few. it's a dark screen, like, you know, black. Black curtain, and then there's this wonderful deer outlining. Well. That's right. Yeah. Everything's got heat in it. You're going to see it. But you, yeah. but if you're looking down the rows, down you know, the road, the rows of trees. Oh, okay, instead rows. of looking, but you know, you're looking Tree down the rows, yeah, the trees, down the lanes, and if something's yeah. moving across, you you're going to pick that stuff up. Yeah. You will. Yeah, I'm really interested to try. I think one of the one of the awesome things is that um, Ben is organising. I think he's organising. We'll see how we go. Um, working on organising to have a whole bunch of um, these thermal options available for us in uh, Hunt Camp down at Nundle this year to trial. So we'll be able to report back on some of this and just see yeah. how it goes. Sorry, my computer's moving because my dog's tangled up in the power cord. And decided <laughs> so one, to wake up. The one thing that how I was, oh, are sorry. how effective are they in fog? Uh, it, look, it, it can certainly cut down the amount of image because, mm. again, that, that there's a lot of moisture there. That moisture, mm. there's lots of little droplets of water and lots of little droplets of water over a large period of time blocks uh, mm. stuff coming back to it. Yeah. Uh, same with humidity. So humidity can really cut it down as well because the same thing, you've got you know a lot mm. of moisture in the air and it makes it very difficult for the sensors to actually you know, for the data to actually get back and hit that lens and, and change yeah. it. I've had good success in fog, but the problem is, you know, in a lot of ways with things like fog, same thing, okay, you might know that it's there, but it's still not it's still not shootable. It might be detectable or it might yeah. be a situation where you can go, hey, there's something there, we need to wait for that fog to lift. Uh, yeah. But it's, okay. it, it's, it's, it's no guarantee with any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And are you finding some brands, some brands or products are better than others in that in this hunting scenario? And I noticed you, like I said, you represent a couple of different brands yeah. here. You're leaning this, towards one or another if you're picking them up for this this uh, early morning hunting scenario. Look, I think no, I think anything that's got those really low net D ratings, and if you can, certainly if you can net get D. something in a six forty core, um, you know, to get those better images, and and again that. You know, as, as big a lens size as you can get, so you can gather as much information as you can. Um, the earlier stuff probably struggled with 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 that a lot more. You find the more modern stuff a little bit better. So, yeah. yeah. Another thing too is uh, there is um, there's different spectrums that the heat is um, uh, is uh, represented. So there's like white hot, black hot, yeah, and then there's so lots can- of. Yeah, there's lots like of different, you know, color, proprietary brands. Yeah, a palette is color palette. Yeah, so, so what you can do is you can set it to try and contrast as best you can for the kind of thing that you're looking for in the environment that you're in. So I like to use either a white hot or a black hot. So that means the, the, the game that I'm looking for or the, you know, potential targets that I'm looking for will stand out as, you know, bright white or, or black. You've got other ones which lay to run in red or green. And you've got right through to, you know, things like rainbow filters, which will change mm. the complete contrast of everything that you look at based on the heat source that was received back from that item. So you can look for small variances in it. Go, well, hang on, 
this terrain all looks roughly this colour and shade, but I'm starting to see a few of these other darker, hotter colours coming through in this area. Why is that? Is there something there? Is that, are those colour palettes customizable in these products? Because someone uh, like Ian, who's um, colourblind, won't be able to see red or and things like well, that. Well, what generally, John, the, the the models have like a they have a a, a, a selection of palettes within them. So like yeah. the old, the Burris I'm using, I think it's got five palettes, and this one today had possibly seven. And some of those are like as you would expect, like red, white black and then you get into proprietary ones like iron and, and violet and stuff so potentially like that. So you might have to choose a product based on what you can see yeah well, almost the yeah. Mm. Okay. but you know the the um and but also the the benefit of that palette is that sometimes i've found that it's just better to scroll through the palettes on what you're looking at and so sometimes mm. something you know it it works better if it's white hot sometimes it works better if it's black hot and so on and so forth and i i don't know exactly why but i find that when i'm like scanning a trees like i'm looking for birds or possums or something like that just like here at home they work better in black hot on the ground i've found and this is only through my extensive research, <laughs> is that on the ground white seems to work better, in the trees black seems to work better, and I and the irons and the reds and stuff just don't seem to seem to work particularly well for me. I generally scroll between and white. Birds and black are an interesting white. one too because they're you know they're very well insulated typically. There's not a lot of mm. there's not a lot of meat on them, and they're they're wrapped in a feather doona, which mm. you know is designed to contain as much of that mm. heat. To the animal mm. as it can as well, so. Mm. Mm. Oh, so cool. yeah, so that, that Super color is about finding the one that suits you, mm. and um, okay. and that. Yeah. You find most models say, of, will have four to six. Options. Yeah, they'll have a, a selection, mm. and you just scroll through mm. it. It seems that the I, I wouldn't say it's universal, but the. What I've found anyway, having a look at a number of different types of or different brands now in the in the because I use what the scouting or the monocular style ones, is that the control panel's pretty similar. You know, there's like you know, yeah. they have a they have a, a similar layout. And so it's just about finding one that, you know, suits your needs and around that. You yeah. In terms of I don't I don't maybe there is, but I don't think any of them have, you know, a hell of a lot more features than the others. They, they, they do seem to be, there seems to be a pretty uh, contained range of features that you get in the handhelds. Yeah, that's right. I mean, most of them are going to have digital zoom on them. Um, yeah. In, in a lot of cases, particularly when you're talking about the lower end sensors, the digital zoom can be, you, you take a, a digital image and then you're zooming in on it. It's yeah. Once you zoom up a couple Exploded. of times, it's going to look like Minecraft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It really starts to, to pixelate up, so you lose that that quality. The better sensor you've got, you might be able to get to two or four times while still maintaining a, a reasonable image. But again, going beyond that, you're really starting to lose that 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 image quality as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that comes down to as well the decisions you make when you pick your device. Much the same as the sort of things you look at when you you look at a scope, like in terms of your base magnification. So if you're looking at a at a spotter, you really want something that's got a low base mag because you want to cover as much area as you possibly can, as quickly as you possibly can. 
But when you start talking about, uh, you know, shooting foxes at 150, 200 metres, you really want a higher base magnification so that, you know, that lens is already, that picture's already set forward. So when you are, you know, zooming it up, so you've still got a decent quality image when you're actually getting ready to take that, uh, that, that target shot. Yeah. Now I've seen some of the, the thermals and night imaging in that. I've seen they've got built-in recording, like video yep. taking videos yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Is that do any of your products do that? That's a pretty standard across the majority of them. Now some of them you will find may or may not capture audio, but most of them now will, will certainly allow you to capture video. Um, look, the benefits there are is obviously you can you know share that experience with others, whether that's on mm. social media or showing your mates and some of those kind of things as well. Um, a lot of times now, different contracts will actually ask you to register that footage as proof to show that mm. you know show the animals that have been dispatched. Some other optics will allow you to capture the GPS location and a compass heading of where you were at that time, so you can actually say, okay, well here's the area that I was. Uh, and uh, here's the direction that I was shooting, and that was the game that I dispatched. Um, you know, getting into into some of that kind of stuff as well. Mm. Different other functions and features that you'll sort of notice between brands is uh, laser range finding. So where this becomes really important with thermals is you're not looking through glass, you're looking at a TV, a little tiny, really high-quality TV inside this unit. What it does is it makes it really hard to judge distance. Distance can be really hard to judge at night anyway. But when you judge it, trying to judge it through a TV and maybe it's a, a, a property or an area of property that you're not familiar with or maybe in your particular field of view you don't have a landmark that you can recognise to show that distance, you can actually push a button and, uh, you know, get a distance to your target. Some of them now will develop, um, you know, a firing solution to those targets as well. So really? that's like, yeah, yeah, ballistics, yeah, ballistic calculators yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. All that sort of yeah. technology is, is creeping into this stuff as well. Um, uh, I know they yeah. can output to screens. You were talking about a lot of them can output to screens. Um, are they are they using a standard um, cable format? To output it, it's going to micro HDMI or most of USB-C's them are using a, or... Most of them use an AV or, or HDMI or they'll use um, proprietary apps. Um, so probably another thing to check too with the thermals that you're using, if you've got a an iPad specifically or an Android tablet specifically, is the optic that you're buying compatible with that particular device? Is there the actual ability to plug it in or do you need to go and buy something else to facilitate that. I'm thinking FPV drone goggles. Oh, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? That'd be nice. <laughs> Fully immersive. Um, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Because they've got, H- they've got HDMI input, don't they? Yeah, HDMI inputs. Um, and USB-C, yeah. yeah. Um, nice. Some of them mm. too. Now, so if you picture sitting in a vehicle as an example and um, the shooter's running a thermal scope and you're the passenger, and because you're not there running the light or anything or doing anything anymore, you've actually got no idea what's going on uh, through the, you know, from a shooter's perspective. Hmm. A lot of them now have got Wi-Fi output, so you can just on your phone or again to a screen have live the image hmm. of exactly what's happening uh, through yeah. the optic, which can be a handy little thing to have. Um, some of the monoculars have a, a visible laser activation on them, so. 
again, thinking about it in a practical sense, standing out in the, in the middle of the paddock with, you know, you're on, on the rifle and maybe you've got a, you know, a torch or a spotlight set up, the guy with the monoculars calling in the fox uh, and he's saying to you, hey, get ready. He's going, well, where yeah, is where it? Is it? Yeah, where is it? I, I, I don't know. So you can, so you can actually you can zap just, it with a laser? Yeah, zap it with a laser in terms of that's the general direction it's coming in at. Um, and I'll tell you when you turn the turn the torch or turn the lamp on um, when he's uh, when he's ready to be dispatched. So. Yeah, because mm. we one one year down at down Marundi, we took the thermal out and a torch, and so there was two of us, and we were kind of doing this. There it is, and you know you could make it work as a as a. Um, uh, in a spotlighting type of situation where if you um you know you could you could tie them in together. It was a bit tricky with two of us and trying to figure things out, but we certainly could have made it work if we wanted to. If if you were spotlighting, we were out looking for yeah looking for pigs and see if or what we didn't take it in because all we found was deer. So we just kept going, a oh, deer, there's another deer there, there, there. They were just you know standing there, so we just kept on walking past them. Yeah. Um because it's one That's of the tough. interesting things one of the interesting things is you know you, you don't you you are immersed in darkness because you've got this thing that can. Mm. It's it's actually really weird how how, how it penetrates darkness. It, it kind of I think it's it, I think it takes your, your optically it takes you a little bit of time to adjust too. I know that um and I have heard that some guys to say you know that there is a they're not so great looking at that tiny screen for hours on end. It's not so great for yeah. you for your, for your for your eyes, and I know you you do lose night vision with it because you are you're looking into a bright looking light. You yeah. TV, yeah. That's right. You're looking in a, in a very small television. So as you describe it, so you do lose your night vision, but you can bring those things together if you are going oh. out spotlighting for foxes or whatever you're yeah. going out for spotlighting for. Yeah, you know, putting you, that to a big iPad screen would would certainly help. Yeah, help yeah. Us, yeah. It's a nice it's in my personal rig. I've got it set up. To the same, so on the spotlight handle, uh, got the power to the thermal on and off, so it's wide up to charge, wide down to a, a laptop screen uh, in the passenger seat, uh, and you can just swing it as fast, you know, just as fast as you can swing a spotlight. Um, we get pretty good detection out of that uh, to about 800 metres uh, on, on mm. foxes, and that's, mm. you know, that's more than enough for us. Um, you know... It's great, I think, to think of things like having all these detection ranges out for these huge distances, but you can't shoot those distances. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, and you certainly can't ID an animal or a potential target at those distances. You, you can, again, you know, back to where we started, you can, you, you know something's there, but what is it? Well, we don't know. You know, as you get closer, you might be able to tell by the type of movement that it's doing or its general shape. Um but it can be hard too. Like I've been out on properties where, you know, where I've been invited out, you know, scanning with the thermal. Oh, yep, there's a fox there. He's about 200 out. I'll get on the whistle and shooters out there going, oh, yep, no worries. Uh, no, can't can't see it. What do you mean? Mate, I can see it right here. It's right here on the screen. Like come back and, oh, yep, it's there. No, can't see it. Can't see it. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it actually turned out to be a, a hare at about 30 metres and not a fox at 200 metres, but, you know, that's one of the challenges of the, <laughs> of the technology and, it, and its quality. And when you start playing with digital images, thermal really is the, the king of ID, uh, sorry, of detection. But when it comes to that final target ID, 
you know, mm. it, it, it's you know, it, it, there's been a lot of guys out there that have that have that have come unstuck because they thought sort something is something else, and it should be no no different to any other type of shooting where you know that so, that yeah. final target on these is know what you're shooting at. Yeah. One yeah. thing I, I've had, never had any success with thermal is tracking blood. I thought yeah. it would work. Yeah, I but thought that'd proven, be awesome. It's mm. proven to be very difficult to actually do. Yeah, I don't. I, I, think, about I don't think it would retain would retain enough thermal yeah. property in itself, mm. particularly when it's hit the ground, because it's going to take on the temperature of the ground quite quickly, exactly. and therefore the sensors aren't going to be able to tell the difference. Uh, but because there's no variance there, it's the same. Yep. So therefore, yeah. it's invisible. So, yeah. yeah, I know. Like where I'm in the Brisbane Valley at this time of year, the thermal really starts to become more of a thing that you're carrying just for the sake of carrying it. You know, at about half an hour into first light, you yeah. do only get a very short window until the heat comes up, and the hum- and especially this time of year, the humidity comes up, and you go, okay. Yeah, this it's, time of year, sure. I you, think, you, I think you, this is a this is a game changer. And like just thinking about now, listening to you guys talking about how how it be used, I think about um, how I typically hunt state forest. I'm up in the dark. I'm in my spot. I might have walked down a couple of, you know, a kilometre or so into a gully that I'm hunting and I'm there before the sun or before first light. There's my opportunity to mm. see if there are deer in my immediate area yep. or whether to mm. walk away from that spot now and go and glass yeah. spot number two or spot number three. I can see that being I think an ideal, super I, effective ideal way. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I've got, I know the exact place I'm going to sit. And the exact place I'm going to try this thing out, I think it will be amazing. Um, which points me back to the, the deer management plan and the effectiveness that thermals will give in this scenario. You know, um, mm. state forest hunting is about controlling animals in the parks. It's not about preserving game. That's not the ultimate, um, yeah. you know, d- mm. desire for for state forest hunting. This will enable people with the right budget to um, be more effective again. Yeah, and look, and it's not going to land the shot. Sorry, sorry. It's not going to land the shot for you. No, right. no, no, no. That's it. No, it's like giving it. away spot X, Mark. You can give yeah. away the, the best that's spot right. you got. I mean, people look, still got to hunt it. Yeah. And look, mm-hmm. let's be. I mean, and you know, it happened to me this last weekend. In the daylight, there's a deer. You know, the other person. What deer? <laughs> that deer. <laughs> what deer? That one right there. So you know th- these things still come into play, and it, but as you said, Ian, I, I the way I use it is for deer. I go, are they about? Mm. And if they are, I'm okay, sit down, yeah. sit down, wait for light. The other thing is because it's a cattle property, and okay, last couple of videos, as you know, there's wild dogs on there. Yeah. So I'm I'm scanning high horizon up high, seeing if the dogs are about. I mean, because I'm picking them up on trail cameras at night. I'm recording their howling. So I want to know, and you know, look, I want to know where they are. I want to know where they are, and what's in it. Because, and that thermal, because I'm no dog trapper, that might give me the edge on getting on, getting close to the wild, or getting in position and waiting for the light to come up so I can take the shot. Mm. Well, if we look at why uh, people are buying, and the main reason people are investing in thermal is in and around improving efficiency. So, how do I, how do I see more than what I'm seeing now? It's no different to mm. investing in a good quality pair of binoculars 
you know, because you know or you hope you're actually going to see more and it's going to make you a more efficient hunter. This is just taking that stuff, you know, another level. It might be the farmer that, you know, really only got limited time. I want to be able to, you know, drive around and check the paddocks, um, you know, for foxes in 30 minutes rather than driving around for two hours. It might be, you know, the professional uh, shooter who wants to get out there and take more game in a shorter period of time because it, you know, increases his profitability. It might be, uh, you know, people like me who only get out very limited time, so they want to make the most efficient use of the time they've got by taking as much as they can. Um, so, you know, efficiency is probably the main the main driver in that space. And, look, there's a bit of cool gadget factor probably playing into it a little bit as well, but certainly, you know, efficiency is the biggest thing that people are looking for in this space by by getting these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in, going back to something you said before, um, trying to get these items into people's hands to have a look at them, to understand how they work, to be able to make an informed decision before they buy is a really difficult part of what you're doing. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to bring some of these into the camp that we're hosting. I think it's going to be a, a great opportunity for people to do just that. Um, there's a yeah. lot of talk about thermal. There's a lot of talk about how it's going to function in state forest. And this will be a really great, you know, situation for 30 odd people to be able to have a look um, yeah. and understand the various different types that there are. So really do yeah. appreciate the support around that. Um, it, it's just going to be a magic time and it'll add another layer to some of the videos that we can bring to. I think you can do some of the pre-dawn, um, you know, yeah, capture sure. of things. And I might just be able to stop my dog chasing a wombat before it's too late <laughs> because she, she does like to follow up. She does like wombat to chase hole. those wombats, mate. Yeah, well, not chase them, but take me to okay. wombat holes. It's yeah. just oh. a pain in the ass. So that's, that's really interesting. Have you got any other questions about thermals, guys? I think that's, that's a really no, great introduction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, we might call it at that for for tonight, Ben. I think um, we've covered a bunch of stuff that I really wanted to talk about, and and um, it was great to have you on. Um, we'll, um, we'll we'll air this one really soon so that people get the opportunity to to understand what's coming. And um, uh, if people want to get hold of you, other than uh, the corporate redneck at uh, at Instagram, how how do people get hold of you? What do you want to rattle uh, so off a couple can- of the brands so people will know what what you're representing? Uh, so we're currently working with Infrared, Nitec, Red Shield, Army Tech, uh, ProEars. There's a, there's a number of others. You can find us on the www.gfpa.com.au, which, which runs through our brands. Um, yep. We've got a dealer network right throughout Australia. So chances are your you know, guys out there, your local dealer um, either has our products or has access to our products. So have a chat to your local dealer about the stuff that might interest you and you know, and maybe really encourage your your local dealer too to to you know speak to us about hosting a a night vision night and do some of the work similar to like you guys are doing, where we can actually come along and bring you know a whole raft of devices and you know find a an area local to them where we can actually experience the stuff at night and try and simulate as best we can you know the sort of uses that these people want to use them for and get. 10 devices in their hands to look at rather than, you know, maybe mm. the, the one or two that's on the shelf. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Great, great idea. Very lots cool. of clubs. Sure. Lots of clubs looking for, for guest speakers and content to come along to make yeah, their meetings right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're happy to work with any of those, you know, people. And, and certainly, you know, through with, you know, help trying to help support 
some of the stuff with the National Deer, Feral Deer Management Scheme. So if people want to understand a little bit more about thermal and how it can actually assist with that, if there's any, you know, people involved in any of those bodies that are doing any of that work, we're happy to support in that space as well. Um, I know they're starting to talk about introducing, um, you know, particular possibly education type camps for, you know, for involving recreational shooters in that stuff. So where we can try and help and, and throw a bit of gear around and help try and find the right solutions for people, uh, more than happy to support it. Mm. Amazing. That's awesome. That's good. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, we'll call it at that. Thank you again for coming on. It's been a, a really good couple of hours of conversation and no, uh, I'm sure it. people get a lot out of it. So um, keep in I touch. Mean, yeah, I really enjoy it. For me, I'm, a, I'm quite a newbie to thermal, so, yeah, pretty, pretty quite an education piece for me. Yeah, there's a lot more to cover off. There's a lot more to cover off. If people are interested, there's a you know, there's quite a few people in arms reach of me that have got a lot of, you know, a lot of other experience and exposure to it. So if people are interested, we can maybe uh have a chat with those guys as well, or we can bring them along to a few of the events. That'd be great. It's awesome. All right. Thank you. Yeah. We'll keep in touch and we'll right. get this one out. ASAP. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, guys. No problem, mate. G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel. The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting.